You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. Uh, as you're as you're giving, and, and some of you, you know, you know the the routine. Some of you have already set yourself up to give online in all the different ways that we uh, we have you participate. But um, as you're doing that, I just want to say that um, we're, I, th- I feel like we're entering a new season of the life of our church, and there's a couple things that you don't hear me talk about a whole lot, especially for those of you who call New Life home, but I wanted to, uh, I wanted to just make sure you knew that we are aware that there is a parking issue <laughs> on Sundays, all right? And uh, we, are, uh, we are praying, and I want to ask you if you would remember to pray for the progress of the front lot project, okay? Uh, The Lord has provided, I believe the Lord is providing um, the resources for us to get this thing done. This is kind of the last thing. Those of you who have been here for a while, you know this front lot has sat dormant for a while. And of course, with all the changes in the neighborhood, and by the way, if you're buying a house next door, we want to know, right? uh, Because all the changes in the neighborhood happening, there's going to be some new families, there's going to be new um, housing opportunities right around us. Um, but we've had to make some adjustments with this front lot, and we have to use it for parking, as some of you know, and it's been a huge inconvenience. We get it. Just consider it your sacrifice on Sunday morning for Jesus, okay? (laughs) But regardless, um, there is a time and a season, and I believe we're coming very soon into it for this thing to get done and for the New Life Corner project here to be finally finished and completed. And, um, And so just keep that in prayer because as with everything that happens in the campus of this, like the physical campus, I believe there's some kind of spiritual, maybe even prophetic significance to it. Many of you were here about maybe seven years ago or so when we, there was no carpet where you guys are sitting right now. And some of you, many of you, were invited to write your faith promises right here on this very stage and on all over the floor on this sanctuary. This place has been built on the faith of God's people and the word of God, you see. We're standing on that very living monument. And I feel that this project out in the front here is going to be, uh, have a similar significance. It'll mark a new season for the life of our church and a new um, movement outward for us to reach people for Jesus. Yes? So with that in mind, let me remind you, man, church on Sunday isn't just for you and your family. Bring a friend. Tell the person next to you, bring a friend. Bring a friend, bring a friend, bring a friend, yes. And because we're in a series called Can I Ask That, um, I thought it would be good for me to give you the freedom to ask, okay? Because the questions that we're dealing with right now are questions that, uh, you know, have research has shown a lot of young people in the next generation are asking. But I also want to somewhat customize this and creates a somewhat of a dialogue between us. And so if you have any questions that come up in your head, that maybe you felt these questions are kind of, you know, they're not, you can't really ask these questions in church, or you can't, you know, I, I've always had this question. or what, Listen, I want to set you free a little bit today and say you can ask them. You can ask the questions, all right? They may not get dealt with on Sunday morning, okay? But you can ask the question, and we want to find some way to respond to some of the hard questions that you're dealing with when it comes to your faith. So um, these cards that are in front of you that say, Welcome to New Life, and on the back, Prayer and Praise, 
Go ahead and use this as a way to ask some of the questions that are burning in your heart that you've always wanted to see addressed. And I can't guarantee that we will address them on a Sunday morning because a lot of them are grouped into themes, right? Um, but I want to give you the freedom to start asking, all right? So go ahead. I won't be offended if you take that New Life pen. And you can only steal it and take it home if you use it to take notes today, okay? Just making sure you knew that. Um, and write down some of those questions that come to your mind. Even as we talk. Like today, we're going to be talking about this question. Is Jesus really, really the only way to God? And like Nara said, some of you, you know, you grew up and you're at a point in your journey where you're like, yeah, pff, that's a no-brainer. I don't need to even know. Why am I yeah, um, concerned about that question? I really believe. Well, listen. Most of the culture around you doesn't. The world in which you live. And I would even guess maybe even the family in which you live, that you have family members, that this is a, this is a question that, you know, maybe they're asking on the inside. And, and what I want to do today, and I'll give you kind of some of the questions that surround the question. Okay? And these are questions that have been asked by uh, real people online. Questions like, why would a God of love create a free will system that, you know, that, that humanity has the power to choose? Why would he create a free will system as the best one, given the context that sin separates us from, from, from God? Why, uh, what happens to humans who never hear the word of God or the good news, but they live good moral lives, right? Um, they're good Muslims or Hindus or Buddhists, but they've never heard the gospel. What happens to them? Um, how can any, anyone be sure that any single religion is the right one and that they're not all wrong? And how do you know which one's the right one? Uh, how can millions of Buddhists be wrong? How can millions of Muslims be wrong? How can millions of Hindus be wrong? Um, and how do you know that Christianity is the one true religion? So these are, these are questions that are related to the question here. Uh, how can we rationalize that Christianity is the one true way to God when all of Asia, well, most of Asia, which comprises half the human population, has belief systems that are fundamentally opposite to ours? So now, now do you understand the dilemma that we're in, in in some way? Then the conversation, I want to call it a conversation because most of the time when people ask these questions, they look back at the Christian community that's answering the questions and what they perceive is something that I don't think we, we want to show them. And that is they perceive that we're coming back with a, a spirit of judgmentalism or a spirit of intolerance, right? Or a spirit of extremism, you know? We're right and you're wrong. Okay. So this may not be the context of your family. This may not be the context in terms of our church life together. But in your workplace, at the schools you attend, young people, this, isn't this the context? So the, the big question we're trying to answer here today when we talk about is Jesus really, really the only way to God as we dive into this uh, conversation, there's really another question underneath this question. Because of the way society around us has tended to think about how Christians answer this question. And, and let, me, let me unpack it this way. That when someone asks the question of how could a loving God say that there's only one way to heaven and happiness. When they ask the question of why do those, all, all those people in Asia who have never, what happens to all those people who have never heard about God. When, when most of the world is either Buddhist or Muslim or Hindu or what, whatnot, how can you Christians claim that you have the only way? You see, you, do you feel the question underneath the question? 
The question underneath the question is really, does God really care for the human race more than we all do? Does he really care for the condition of humanity more than we do? And so when people are confronted with the exclusive claims that Jesus makes to be the only way to God, and we're going to look at that in a second, and then they respond by saying, well, well, well you know, I don't know, you know and they, they resist. What I think they're saying on the inside is this. I cannot give my life to serve a God who doesn't care about everybody. I cannot worship a God who's indifferent to the human race and who says, man, if you just don't accept Jesus, then tough luck. But see, I sometimes feel like in the way we've treated the world around us that people get the wrong message and that somewhere along the line, (laughs) maybe the media helps in all of this and the church does too in our religious with our religious spirit at times that we can operate in, that sometimes people get the wrong message and they tend to look at Christians as the least caring people on the planet. So, um, today, the question really is, is God better than us? Does he care about us more than we do? Because if God doesn't care about the world more than we do, then maybe he should be the one worshiping us. You know, maybe, we need, maybe he needs to become more like us if he doesn't, in fact, care about his creation more than we do. So I want to f- flip this on its head a little bit today and show you that, in fact, God does care. And the very verse where Jesus makes an exclusive claim to be the only way, the truth, and the life, we're going to look at that today, is actually written and spoken in a context of extreme care and concern. So what I want to do today is give you a little bit of a map. We're going to look at this verse in John 14, 6, where Jesus claims to be the only way. And we're going to answer, or we're at least going to explore the question of destination. Does God care about really where everyone's going? We're going to answer in this text the question of direction. Does God care about how to get there? and what steps you need to take and what path you will choose. And then we'll try to kind of wrap this up with dealing a little bit more with the question of exclusivity. How can Jesus claim to be the only way to the exclusion of all others? Because here's here's the reality. We live in a religiously, uh, what do we call it, a pluralistic society, right? That's a new word for today. For those of you who know what that means, we live in a society that is marked, characterized by religious pluralism, which means, okay, which means that all religious views are equally valid. This is what everybody expects of everybody when you get together at the table and you share your religious views. Everyone expects that your claim, whatever religion you're, you're purporting over there, you believe in over there is valid, same as your religion, same as your religion. Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Iglesia ni Cristo, all is all valid equally. Okay, that's religious pluralism. Now, there's a value to religious pluralism. We need to thank God that we live in a country that allows us to express our religious views freely. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to do this. Am I right? There's a value to this. But when it comes to 
how we actually handle this as Christians, uh, we have to use a lot of wisdom. We have to look at how we're engaging the world and really move towards the world with a spirit of love and respect and open up a conversation rather than the approach of I'm right, you're wrong. We need to start listening first. Would you agree? Some of you haven't really known how to take that stance, but that's the word of wisdom that's coming at the end. This is what we need to do. We need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, as Jesus says, in the world and society we live in. But I want to give you a little bit of context in this verse because I think it's important we understand what Jesus, the context of what Jesus speaks these words in John 14, 6. And John, um, it begins actually in John 14, verse 1. Um, the gospel of John, you have to re you remember that it's, it's not like the other gospels. In the gospel of John, you find Jesus actually having very private, personal conversations with his disciples more than in any other gospel. And especially in John chapter 14, where he's speaking to his disciples on the night before he's about to get crucified, and he's sharing these intimate moments with his friends around the table. And he's having these, he's saying these words, but these words are spoken in a context of real concern. He's trying to get them ready for what's about to happen. That's why here he starts with these words. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Like, this is a very strong, in the original language, it's a very strong imperative command. Don't, like, don't let your hearts be overcome with fear and turmoil. And don't be intimidated by the situation that's about to unfold. Hear my command, Jesus says. And then he says, trust in God, trust also in me. Now, let's just stop right there and let's just, let's take a moment and listen to those words to your heart. God is speaking these words right to you. Christ is speaking these words to us where our hearts are troubled. Where is your soul troubled this morning? Do you hear him speaking? Don't let your heart be overwhelmed, be troubled. Some of you just need to hear this today. Some of you need to be reminded, trust or believe in God, trust also in me. Now, I love this because when he says, trust in God, trust also in me, he is taking into consideration that the disciples have learned about God all their lives. They've learned about the God of the Old Testament, the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? They have had, this is the God of their upbringing. They've trusted that God. That trust in God has led them to trust in Jesus to some degree or another, but Jesus makes it real clear and personal. He says, You've trusted in the God of our fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. In other words, you trusted in the God of your upbringing. Now I'm going to take you deeper. Trust now in me. And I want to say this to those of you who have grown up in a religious upbringing that has taught the God of the Bible to some degree or another, that maybe God is inviting you to a deeper friendship and relationship with Jesus. And to, yes, it was wonderful, the God, the religious upbringing that you had, but now God wants to take you on a new journey of a deeper relationship with him, with Christ. Think about that for a second. So Jesus comes into this scene and he says, hey, I want to get you guys ready. Trust in God. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Watch this. 
I'm going to give you a promise. He goes, in my father's house. He actually says, my father's house has plenty of room. Now, some of you have read this verse. says, in my father's house there are many. <laughs> I heard you say uh, rooms, mansions. but Yeah, I've heard it read or sung. Yeah, In my father's house there are many mansions. As if, as if every one of us has a private, personal, like, you know, 700,000 square foot mansion, right? Prepared in heaven, like, for us and stuff. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's true, right? No, any, of you, any of you like watching HGTV? Yeah, maybe, maybe it's true that God has got something planned for you and that it's going to be designed the way, just the way you like it, whatever. That's not what this verse is saying. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you there. This translation is actually more accurate in terms of getting to what Jesus is saying. He's like, my father's house has plenty of room. If it were not so, would I have told you? That I am going there to prepare a place for you. So what he's really talking about is not so much that you're going to get your own mansion and your own, like, you know, MTV cribs and stuff like that. He's talking about there's space in the heart of the Father for you. And you, in that space of God's heart and God's presence is the place you will feel like you most fully belong. You will feel like you finally and fully come home. And there's belonging in this space. So the focus isn't physical, a physical dwelling place. The focus is at finally being at home with the Father. Finally being at home with the Father. By the way, I want to say to all of you who have lost a loved one in Christ over the past several years, they're finally and fully at home with the Heavenly Father. And you can take comfort in that fact. That's what Jesus is trying to do here, trying to comfort his disciples, get them ready. And so he goes, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be with me where I am. You know the place to where I am going. So notice the very personal nature of Jesus' words. Like, I am going to personally prepare a place for you, and I'm going to personally get that ready. I'm going to personally come back for you and bring you to that place. I'm not going to have an angel do it. I'm not going to send a substitute teacher. I'm not going to send, you know, anyone. I'm going to personally do this for, for you, my people, for my followers. So in this context, this context of a personal promise from Jesus to ensure that when it's all said and done, when the seasons of trial and difficulty and struggle and confusion are past, that we, in fact, when the dust settles, will be with him. This is the context of this passage. And so when Jesus says, you know the way that I'm, I'm going, uh, Doubting Thomas speaks up and he says, Lord, um, you know what? It's actually a little more fuzzy to me because I'm not sure if I know the way. He says, we don't know the way where you're going. We don't know where you're going and how can we know the way? And I love Thomas's honesty. In other words, he's saying, hey, Jesus, make it clear. What's the destination here? And how do we get there? What's the destination and what is the direction? And so Thomas's question becomes our question today, isn't it? Because depending on what season of life you're in, you're asking questions about destination and you're asking questions about direction. I, just, I speak with uh, young people uh, most frequently uh, lately. <laughs> 
When I say young, I'm talking about ages 18 to 35, by the way. So anyone in that category? And believe it or not, people age 35 are also asking questions about destination and direction. Depending on what season of life you're in, you're going to ask these questions. For some of you, in a certain season of your life, your destination was your career. What do I do with my life? And, and, and we told you the, the, the direction, the, the way you get to the destination is, is pretty simple. You, you go to school, you pick a course of study, and then, then try to stick with it until you get to the end, and that will help prepare you for your career. Right? We've all been through those seasons. Some of you are there right now. Destination, direction. For some of you, the destination is about a relationship. Yeah, like, <laughs> when someone asks you, what are you going to do with your life? You think about it in terms of, well, I want to have a family someday. I want to find that, you know, life partner. And I, I want to have a family. I want to get married, have kids, and on, on and on. And, and so you say, well, what's the, what's the direction for that? What's the pathway there? How are you going to get there? And it's like, well, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm still kind of waiting around for Mr. Perfect or Miss Right <laughs> or Miss Universe. He ain't coming, by the way. If you think it's Miss Universe. I kind of think you, you, you kind of realize it's Miss Universe in retrospect, right? God gives it to you, and then you go, it is the right person. The point is that our, sometimes our destination has to do with relationships, Sometimes our destination has to do with opportunities, like many of you who immigrated here from another country. The dream, the destination was America because of the promise of opportunity here. The direction you thought was go there and just work hard. And sometimes that worked out, sometimes it didn't for some of us, right? We didn't realize that when we were going to work so hard, our family was going to fall apart. How do we do this? Thomas knows, and Jesus knows, the questions we're asking, because those questions all show us that we're all seeking the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus steps into the middle of that, and he says, hey, listen, I have an answer, a deeper answer to your questions. Jesus has an answer to all the, the questions you're asking about careers and relationships and opportunities and all that, yes, but I'm, he's going to start with the deepest answer. He's going to say here, the way, the truth, and the life that you're seeking is first found in a relationship with me. I am the way. When he says I am the way, what he really means, he's, he's referring to um, the disciples would have thought, yeah, the way of walking with God, the way of life that pleases God. That's what they would have been thinking. I am the way. In me, I express and epitomize the, the kind of life that pleases God. So stick with me. I am the way. A, a way can also be thought of as a, a, a link between two, two things. So Jesus represents the link, the way to get to the life that you really desire and need. Now, that can get confused at times because we have sometimes, you know, wrong notions of what success is supposed to look like. But stick with Jesus. Stick with Jesus. He's saying, you'll get there. I'm the way. And then he says, I'm the truth. I am ultimate reality. I am the ultimate expression of what's real in this life. 
the truth. Something that is true is something that's authentic, it's real, it can be relied upon, it can be trusted. I'm the truth. And what Jesus is saying is really profound. He says, you know what? Everyone else who claims to be the real thing either is they're an imposter, they're not the real thing, but you're looking at the real deal, Thomas. You're looking at the real deal, Edgar. You're looking at the real deal, Bing. I am the truth. And uh, then he goes, I am also the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If death is defined as separation from God, then life can be defined as communion with God. And in Jesus we see, expressed in his life, that he is living in perfect communion with God the Father. And he says, I can offer, you can participate in this same relationship that I have with the Father. And that life is described as abundant, overflowing, and ongoing. Amen? Some of you look at your life, and you can look back and say, you know what? I'm not really living, I'm just existing. God doesn't just want you to exist. He wants you to come fully alive. And the way you start with that is you come to Christ. It's not by applying techniques and tips and, you know, steps and formulas. It's by coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you are the author of life. You are the only way, the truth, and the life. And listen, for some of you who don't have a relationship with Christ or maybe you're kind of exploring all this, that's the place to start. But even those of you who've been walking with Jesus for a while, how many of you know that you can walk with Jesus for a while and sometimes you can, you can find yourself kind of lost? You can get lost in the house of God. You can get lost outside of the house of God, folks. Some people are lost inside the house and need a point of reference, need to come right back to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, whatever way I've been trying to create for myself, whatever way, whatever truth and reality I've been trying to experience, whatever forms of life that I've tried to, to try to embrace to make me feel more alive, it hasn't worked. I've come back to you. Way, the truth, and the life. Tell the person next to you, he's the way. He's the truth. And he's the life. So what I want you to see here is that Jesus is not speaking these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life, as a way of condemning and judging other religions and other religious experience. He speaks these words out of the context of deep concern and care for his followers. Got it? Yes, 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 yes. Just making sure you do. Now let's talk a little bit about exclusivity. The question of, well, how in the world can Jesus make this exclusive claim? And you know what, like, I have a hard time, Pastor, when I'm actually, I mean, it's fine listening in this message and all that, but when I actually go to school, I have a hard time talking to my friends about it because they look at me and they say, well, who are you to judge me, right? All right. So let me give you just a little bit of, you know, maybe some thoughts around this matter. Every religious belief is, is making an exclusive claim. Got it? There's, like, people criticize Christianity for making an exclusive claim. But in actuality, every religious belief makes an exclusive claim. Because the truth of the matter is, not every religion is the same. 
People want to believe that if I just take, you know, this pathway or that pathway up the mountain, it's all going to get to the same point. Haven't you heard that before? Well, what does it matter that you follow that way or that way or that way or that way? It's all going to the same place anyway, right? It's kind of like, you know, remember that game show years ago? I don't know if they have it anymore. Where you have to guess, you know, the, you, you pick a box. Deal or no deal, is that, was that it? You pick a box or something, and then there's a certain amount of money behind that box. Wouldn't it be great if you could just pick the box, and behind the box, behind every box was a million dollars? That would be so awesome, right? But then you wouldn't have a really good game show. So I feel like the argument that, that we're making about, you know, and people judging Christians by, you know, saying you guys are judgmental because you're making it. No, everybody makes an exclusive claim because not every religion is, is the same. You can't say that and, intellect, and honor our intellect as human beings. Buddhism is not the same as Christianity. Muslim, uh, Islamic faith is not the same as Christianity. Mormonism, JW, whatever you want to call it, they're not the same. And it's kind of, it's kind of like if I, if I told you, you know, if I asked you and we did a little interview and said, what kind of food do you guys all like? And you know somebody like, yeah, I love, you know, Japanese. I love, you know, um, Mexican food. I love Thai food. I love um, Indian food, right? And then you found out at the end of the day that you, we were all eating the same exact food. Like it was all Filipino food all along, right? There's no, where's the, what? like, that did not really honor our choice, right? If we believe that God made us in his image and he gave us a right to choose, and this is what really uh, sets us apart from all of other, other, other creation. And so why did God do that? Why would God even do that? Because only in the context of having a real choice can love exist. Without it, love cannot exist. And God didn't want robots. God didn't just want, you know, people that, you know, uh, he had pre-programmed. He wanted people to be able to choose to love him back. So, I'm here to tell you that when, that almost every religion around here makes an exclusive claim. And not every religion is, in fact, the same. And it's important that we explore this stuff. You know, it's important that we ask the questions about why then is Christianity, okay, listen, in the context of all the other religions in the world and faith persuasions, why is this one more adequate than all the others? Now, we can't deal with all that in detail today, but I do want to say this one thing as I close. That you can group most religions into one of two categories. You can group them into the, the category of legalistic or fatalistic. And in legalism, religions that are more legalistic, like uh, you know, uh, Islam might be categorized as that, is it's sort of, you got to live up to all these rules and standards in order for God to accept you. That's the general idea, legalism. And so God is this big, righteous rule keeper. But in the area of fatalism, it's sort of like, well, uh, doesn't matter what you choose, it's all up to God. Right? I don't really have a choice over here. This life 
is controlled by the gods. And the best that I can do is have an illusion of choice or manipulate the gods. Those two categories. When Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's not teaching another brand of religion. <laughs> he's stepping into humanity's world and he's saying, I'm the only one. From my perspective, I'm the only one that is really pursuing you. When it's all said and done, Buddha is not coming to rescue you. Muhammad, I really doubt it. Joseph Smith, I think he's got a marked grave, doesn't he? Somewhere in the, in, in the United States or wherever. Anyone else that represents a religious persuasion in this world is not coming for you the way I am. I'm the only one. And you can accept that, you see. And, and I'm not telling you to accept it like wholesale. Like, go ahead, explore, ask questions about this. How can that be? Why is that? Why? Jesus, when it's all said and done, is there when the dust settles and says, I still care about you. I still care about your situation. I'm still wanting to see and invite. I stand at the door and I'm still knocking. And it's funny because, you know, that passage, you heard that passage, it's in Revelation. He's actually speaking that passage to the church. <laughs> Why is Jesus the only way? Because Jesus is the only one. No one else is coming for you but him. I um, was talking with someone the, the other day about the differences between, you know, Hinduism and Buddhism and Christianity. And uh, I want to give you a practical word of, of wisdom as I end this today. That I want to encourage you to get into conversations about this. I know that it's uncomfortable, and I know that it's not the world that we live in, okay? I mean, I mean the world that you live in. But people are, people are hungry and wanting to know. Why, why is it you believe the way you believe? Really? You know, I read a statistic um, this past week that a very high percentage of Christian evangelicals are actually embracing this idea that all religious claims are valid. It's very fascinating. How did that happen? I'm here to tell you that there is, there is a way for you to be in a conversational relationship with someone where you're not criticizing, you're not judging, you're not condemning, you're not being intolerant, you're not being, and to still hold the line and say the Christian claim, Jesus' claim is, is valid like no other claim. Okay, It's possible to do that. Now, if the other person says, ah, you're just, a, you're just judgmental like all the rest, then that's their choice. But you don't have to be that way in your spirit. You can be in a relationship conversationally with people who are still exploring, who still think maybe every religious claim is valid. What does it matter? You choose that, you choose that. No. And you can stand there and say, hey, I respect your view. Tell me exactly why you believe that. You see? Oh, yeah, yeah. If you become a Buddhist, you're just all going to the same. No, no, no. 
Buddhism's, Buddhism's vision of heaven is different from the heaven that Christianity talks about. It just is. I'm sorry. You can't say that it's all going to the same place because it's not. I was telling uh, someone, and I, I talk about Buddhism a lot because I studied it in school. Um, to get to heaven in Buddhism means that you, you cease to exist. Because the, 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 the reason why there's so much problems in the world and the, the world is broken the way it is is because of the existence of desire. So the point of Buddhism is to get all desire out of you. To enter into a state of perfect nothingness. That's heaven. Nirvana. I know I'm simplifying it. I'm probably oversimplifying it. So for those of you who are Buddhist or have Buddhist families in the room, I don't mean any disrespect. But my point is, that is not the same heaven as what we see in Scripture. When Jesus says, I'm going to go to prepare a place for you. It's different. So you can't say it's all going to the same place, folks. Tell the person next to you, Jesus is the only way. (laughs) I hope you believe it more today. (laughs) All right. I'm actually done, but I want to read you this quote from a professor, Dennis Hollinger. He says, professor at Gordon-Conwell, he says, The uniqueness of Christ is a sign that the triune God of the universe cares so deeply for his wayward creatures. You get that? The uniqueness of Christ, his exclusive claim, is a sign that the triune God of the universe cares. God cares about this world. He cares about your life so deeply for his wayward creatures that he mercifully provided a path to forgiveness, a way to the Father's embrace. And it's in the Father's embrace through Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we come to realize that we can never pull the triune God apart. For indeed, to know Christ is to know the Father. And to know the Father is to know the Spirit who enables us to stay true to the one Savior in the midst of a pluralistic world. I hope I spoke to some of the issues that some of you might face and the questions that some of you might have today about how do I... How do I stay true to the exclusive claims of Jesus in a world that's saying, no, it's all the same? Because it's not. And if you have more questions about this, write them down. (laughs) And let's have a conversation. I want to end this by asking you today. This verse in John 14, 6, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's getting them ready for a season of deep, chaos that they're about to experience. He knows that their hearts are going to be troubled. Where today is your heart troubled? Where are you not at peace this morning? Jesus speaks to you and he says, don't let your heart be troubled. In the end, remember, I am the way. The an- I hate to say this. It's like, you know, every answer that we have for every question is Jesus. <laughs> but in the end, folks, he's the only one coming for all of us. Close your eyes, bow your heads, and let's pray. Lord, I know this has been more of a talk than, a, you know, preaching a message today. I, but I pray that in the conversation 
that I would have modeled a way for us as believers to live in a pluralistic society, to live in a world that, you know, that treats almost every claim as valid. To live in that world and to shine the light of your love towards people, but yet at the same time remain true to our convictions. And to know that those convictions, they're, they're more adequate than any other view. We can live in a pluralistic world and shine the light of your goodness and your glory in a loving way. So I pray that today um, we would be encouraged to open up the conversation with people. And to be able to answer the deeper question that sometimes is underneath the big question, which is, does God really care about my life? Does God really care about my situation, about my relationships, about my world? Does he care about the pain I'm going through? And to be able to be a people called the church in those moments and say, yes, let me show you. So, Lord, for every person in this room that's, whose heart is troubled, may they find comfort today in your promise that you are personally coming for them. And you are personally, Lord, preparing the way for them if we will continue to place our trust in you. And as a church, we do just that today. I thank you for your exclusive claim to be the only way. We embrace it afresh today. Knowing that there are still some unanswered questions, there are still probably some conversations and clarifications that need to happen around this question. But when it's all said and done, Jesus, may you reveal yourself to us as the only true source of life, as the ultimate reality, the truth, and as the only way to the Father. I pray this in the name of Jesus, in your name, Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.